0: All right, welcome back to uh, Merlonian 4. Nick Fitzy-Stevens in here with us on a Friday. Time now to talk to our guy, Mike Lombardi, who's brought to you by Zudi. You can build any app your company needs in a week. Visit Zudi. that's Z-U-D-Y.com, for your free trial. Joining us on the Harbor One Hotline is Mike Lombardi. Mike, how are you doing here on a Friday? I'm great, thank you. How are you guys doing? Good. We are doing good, Mike. So, obviously, the, a lot of news here the, this week with the civil action lawsuit uh, Brian Forrest is putting on the NFL and the Giants and Dolphins. Everyone seems to be involved. So, my question to you is, is it time for the NFL to look at this Rooney Rule and maybe make adjustments to get the results that it was intended mm-hmm. to get?
1: Well, I certainly think that's the case. I mean, you know, this the Rooney Rule has proven to get uh, African-Americans and minorities interviews, but it has yet to prove to get people hired. I, I have said for years, and I've given my book to Troy Vincent, I think we need, the league needs, not we, the league needs, a leadership academy for minorities. I think that through training, through, through intense work, opening the academy up to high school coaches, college coaches, do like GE has their leadership academy, really put an emphasis on training. And so that when these coaches go in for interviews, they are ready to interview and look good in the interview and are performing at a highest level. And, and I think ultimately that is the way to solve some of the issues. It's through all these things. And I'm not suggesting that, uh, that African-American coaches aren't trained and, and, minority and white coaches are. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting all coaches. Need to become better at leadership. And I think ultimately that's the key.
2: Yeah, but I, I, it's, it's, I feel like it's a slippery slope because as a GM, you know, as a guy that was r- running a team, you know, you have an opportunity to hire somebody that you've been watching and monitoring for a while and you're predisposed to him because you, you, you feel like even before the hiring process starts, y- human nature kicks in and that's the guy I want. But they're forcing me to interview other people. I mean, how right. how, how, how that's got to be a difficult you know line to walk, as far as you know removing your personal bias towards people.
1: Anytime you make a decision, you have a ton of personal bias. But also, if you're willing to be open minded and you can interview, I mean, look, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the inventor of the Rooney Rule, and, and I don't think they intended to hire Mike Tomlin until he showed up with his incredible ability to motivate, inspire, and lead. I think I think. Mike Tomlin got that job in the interview because of how he prepared for it, how he was able to express his philosophical beliefs and how to lead young men. And he got that job. And I certainly think that's a powerful way to get jobs. And I think you still can. And, I, you know, look, I've said this after it happened, and I'll say it again. I don't think the Miami Dolphins are going to get a better coach after they fire Brian Flores than the one they let go. You know, I don't think that. And so I think Brian Flores understands how to lead people and do those things. So, you know, I, I just think that it's hard for, uh, in these situations, when a general manager gets a job, as you mentioned, Joe Shine, he said the Buffaloes watch dayball ball work. They have a relationship. Sometimes that takes over.
3: So, Mike, having been around a known bill for so long and having worked together, uh, this relates to the whole idea that Belichick has this influence on the process and brian uh Flores is sort of accusing him of having sort of steered the process a certain way were you familiar with coaches or other coaches gms etc people calling bill all the time for recommendations <laughs> insight or any sort of influence in that regard
1: you know i i mean he obviously would be a tremendous influence he knows a lot of these coaches he works with them and you could learn a lot of football from talking about that i i don't know the specifics of of any of those on recent terms, and I think knowing Bill well enough, he would only speak of coaches that he's worked with. So if he's worked with Dayball or if he's worked with Flores, which he has, then certainly he's going to have an opportunity to talk about it and be an expert on it. Bill would never talk about something that he didn't have an expertise within. All
0: right, we're talking to Mike Lombardi, the host of the GM Shuffle podcast. And, Mike, you mentioned uh, uh, Flores down in Miami, and one of the uh, allegations is on Stephen Ross in that he offered him $100,000 to lose football games. And the way that allegation reads to me, I mean, it's really no different than Stephen Ross, say, offering a quarterback to lose football games. To me, that is a serious allegation.
1: It is a serious allegation. And, you know, and I think that what the, the complaint says is that Bryant said he wasn't going to do it, and the team didn't do it. And they went ahead, and even though they lost the first seven games, uh, they they ended up beating the Patriots in Week 8-17 and made them have to go play Tennessee at home, which cost them the home field advantage. So they didn't really tank, and they followed the path. Now, they got rid of some players that they wanted to get rid of. They got a first-round pick for Mika Fitzpatrick. But if you remember correctly that this conversation about tanking, especially as it pertains to Miami, was really over Tua. At this point in the NFL year, August of that season, eight nineteen. Uh, Joe Burrow wasn't a first round pick. Joe Burrow was a quarterback at LSU that was playing. He had transferred from Ohio State. He had not emerged. The yeah. tanking for Tua was what this conversation was about. They ended up getting Tua anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I don't know what you what you think about the involvement of one Hugh Jackson because I, I I don't understand what he's doing to be honest with you because he's describing walking into a bad situation where you tell me a team looks at it and says I got a four-year plan to get back and and he seems shocked by it like that, that teams would trade away players to get assets to build in two three four years and I, I don't understand like his involvement in all of this to be honest with you why he's even speaking were you surprised at some of the stuff he he was saying this week
1: uh yeah I really was and so you know especially considering that you know he I know Jimmy Haslam personally and Jimmy Haslam doesn't want to lose at anything. You know, Jimmy Haslam wants to win, and Jimmy Haslam bought that Browns team to try to win. Now, as he admitted in his release that he hasn't always worked out, but I do think Hugh has to assume some responsibility. I mean, what coach goes 0-16 and retains his job? Yeah. I mean, you know, what coach goes 0-16? I mean, Rich Cotite went 1-15, and even though Leon Hess, the great the owner of the of the Jets, used to call him Richie because he endeared himself to him like a son, he fired him after 1-15 and and hired Parcells. So, like – I mean, they were going through a rebuilding process. The owner was on board, and and Hugh couldn't win. It was one. In, it was zero and sixteen. The next year, they started slow. He fired him, and then they started to win again. But wasn't Hugh? I don't
0: understand. But wasn't Hugh? I just, don't understand that. Yeah. yeah, wasn't Hugh just describing what a lot of teams do? Like what Nick Casario probably presented when he joined Houston? Said, "Listen, it's going to take a while." He seems surprised yeah. by that. I, I, I don't. That's my point. How was he surprised? He was zero and sixteen, didn't even get fired. Yeah.
1: And I'm sure if you go through those 16 games, that there was probably decisions he made during those games that cost him games.
2: Yeah, all I had to do was watch Hard Knocks and know that he was not a good coach. But that's my opinion. So back to I think he I think
1: him trying to get involved in something as serious as this. Is kind of a mistake.
2: Oh, he does not belong. I, I'm sure uh, if I'm Brian Flores, I'm asking him to stay out of the conversation. He's, yeah. only, he only, he's only muddying the waters. But back to Brian Flores, do you think he'll get a job this year? Do you think teams and, and GMs will look at him and say he is a good coach, he has a good track record, but will this, uh, this lawsuit affect him for the remaining jobs that are open?
1: It's hard for me to say. Obviously, Nick knows him really well. He's down in Houston. He has an opening. Uh, you know, I think Brian – I thought Brian would be immediately hired once he left there. Uh, so and – he, and he didn't – you know, once he left Miami, I thought it would be easy. He interviewed in Chicago, you know, to me. I think he's a better coach than Matt Iberflus. He's proven he's one. So I, I just – you know, I don't know what this lawsuit means for him. I, I do think, you know, it's important to him, and he's made it very clear, and I agree with him. However, that being said, if he waited until after all the jobs were open, it it might have been a better situation for him.
3: Mike, what do you think it's going to take to finally oust Daniel Snyder, who technically (laughs) isn't the owner? I know now it's his wife. Well, he's the owner, but his wife is overseeing day-to-day operations, and he's more of a cheerleader figurehead now, embarrassing as this whole situation is. What's it going to take to finally oust him from the commander post, if you will, with the commanders? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. I have no idea. You know, I have no idea. I, I mean, the emails are not going to get released. And, you know, and, and as and as soon as he announced his name of his new team, uh, you know, he got, you know, a bunch of ch- new charges came across. So I, I have no idea what is the motivation behind all that in terms of keeping them. That, that's all between the owners when they close those doors and go one per club.
0: All right, we're talking to Mike Lombardi. And, Mike, um, Adam Gase's name has been floating around here in New England now the last few days as far as possibly a replacement for Josh McDaniels. And I don't know how you feel about Adam, but if you could ease some Patriots' minds because we just remember him in Miami and the Jets, and I don't think people are very excited. But is he an off- as far as an offensive coordinator goes, what do you think of Adam Gase?
1: Well, I think this. I think that, you know, one thing you have to know about Coach Belichick is nobody's coming in to run their offense. Like, that's not – this is – New England is a unique place compared to now the way the National Football League is compared to the other 31 teams. Whoever enters in that building is going to run what Bill's version of the offense wants to be. You know, what's Bill – how Bill wants to set up the offense, how he wants to handle it, it, the philosophical nature. You know, and we saw the evolution, and Patriots fans have seen this evolution through the years when Brady in the first Super Bowl really, you know, I think they were two for 11 on third down in the first Super Bowl. They didn't throw the ball as well. They ran it Had the last drive to where in 07 all of a sudden they're the most explosive passing game in all of football. So I think that should certainly give some comfort because I truly believe he's going to bring somebody in who's going to do philosophically what he wants to do and then take the response and help him. And Bill's never going to leave anybody on their own and say, it's you on you. If we don't win, then I'll fire you. Bill's going to be intimately involved.
2: So does that mean that – I feel like that means there's a limited amount of uh, candidates for this job outside the building.
1: Well, I I think there – I don't know about that. I think there's probably more. But I think there's – I think it's going to have to be somebody that he feels can call plays and has call plays in the game and can adjust a game plan during the game. I don't think Bill's is worried about what plays are we going to run as he's worried about how the game is called, how the structure of the game plan is put together and how we adjust the game plan.
3: Okay. Well, we've asked everyone else. We may as well get your opinion on this one as well, since you are so familiar with the organization and the most famous and successful player therein. what did you think Mike about Tom Brady's farewell post earlier this week (laughs) and the certain team that was not mentioned?
1: You know, I, I didn't really think much of it. I, I know a lot of people in Boston did, and I thought he thanked New England when he left the first time. That's how kind of I took it, because I do think this. and No, I don't think this. I know this. I know that after two years away from the structure and what was going on in New England, I think that Brady saw the the other NFL like we all have when we leave New England or we left Bill. We see another NFL that's way different than the NFL that's in that the confines. And you tend to learn to really appreciate what you left. I thought the comments that he made about Bruce about how he was very challenging to work for are almost like a way of saying, This is how I was trained and I know you weren't and so I think he said goodbye, but I really truly believe in my heart that and I know I don't think there's there's this big conspiracy and hatred between the two gentlemen or were released with Brady to Bill.
0: What about Brady to Kraft? Because I know you say that like, you weren't surprised I, it was two years ago, but there hasn't been an athlete in the history of sports. Many of them have left, and they've always thanked, like Peyton Manning, there's many, many of these guys have always thanked where it all started. When you retire, but could that be it? It all seems like it's there's some angst with Kraft.
1: I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine there would be. You know, they've been very... I mean, look, you know, I think he left because, I, as I said, I think he left because what he, what he built, and he helped build it. There's no denying this. The culture that resides in New England, he helped build. That very culture, he didn't really want. He wanted to be able to do what he's doing in terms of his brand and his career. He couldn't do it in New England. Now, what he learned when he got to Tampa is there's certain things that happen in, in New England that need to happen somewhere else if you're going to win, and he learned how to win.
0: All right, Michael, well, listen, we really appreciate it. Thanks for the time, man. Have a Thanks, great appreciate weekend. It. All right, we'll talk to you soon.